Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Community Life Church. We are so happy to be able to worship with you this morning. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the Director of Children's Ministries, and it really is an honor to have you guys with us here this morning. So whether you're joining us online or in person, thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. Um, We are going to start this service together by praying the Lord's Prayer. So if you'll pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you for just who you are and for what you do for us on a daily basis, God for sending your son to the cross for us, despite all of us, despite all of our humanness, God, to be able to take that step um, so that we could have a forever relationship with you. God, we're so thankful. And it's humbling to be in your presence, God. I just wanna say thank you for giving us exactly what we need, for sitting with us in our times of sadness and for celebrating us in times of joy. God, no matter what we need, you're always there for us. So remind us, God, remind us to go and sit in your presence, just to be with you and to be able to feel your presence, to know that you fulfill all your promises and you'll never leave us. God, thank you for who you are and for what you do for us. I ask that you be with us during this service, God, and and just allow us to hear what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, you guys ready to sing this morning? We're going to continue on in worship. And know that the victory that we have in Jesus is already won. You do. 
celebrate that church, knowing the battle is won in Jesus. Before we jump into this next song, it's going to be one that, uh, that we've sang uh, pretty often. We sing this one uh, quite a bit. And um, I think sometimes um, when we hear songs and sing songs regularly, um, they can sometimes lose a little bit of their meaning. Um, so I want to share a little bit of scripture that might maybe breathe a little new life uh, into these lyrics for us. And uh, it's going to come out of Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28. It says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, this verse is one that uh, has plenty of applications, right? We all have lots and lots of burdens. We could fill notebooks with, with our burdens every day. Uh, but in, in this specific context, Jesus is talking to a crowd uh, near the Pharisees. And the burdens that he's specifically talking about here is this burden of all these laws that man has, has added uh, to the law of Moses, the, the original Ten Commandments, all these extra laws that, that the Pharisees are enforcing. And he's talking about this burden that, that, that the Israelites have of trying to be essentially perfect and how we can't do that. We can't carry that burden. That's not, a, um, that's not anything, that's not a requirement that we can fulfill. But Jesus did. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law perfectly so that our side of that covenant with God, that, that you know, if, we've, if we uphold his law, he will give us uh, life and give us rest. And we could not hold up that end. Israelites tried for generations and generations and could not hold, that, uh, hold up there into that bargain. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And, and through that, we were able to live into that covenant and find that life and that rest. And so Jesus can say, come to me full stop. Not come to me when, you know, you're perfect. Come to me uh, when you've gotten your life right or, uh, or, or when, you know, you've kind of stopped sinning for a few hours. Then you can come to me. He just says, come to me just as you are right now. Come to me and you will find rest. 
And so uh, as we sing this song, we, we talked about running to the Father. We talk about uh, falling into grace. That's exactly what Jesus is, is, is calling us to do here. He's calling us to just set aside that burden of trying to get right or trying to be perfect and trying to be sinless because we can't. And instead, just run to him. Come to him and find that rest. So as we sing these words, I just, I, I, I pray that you guys would just uh, internalize that and think through these lyrics through that lens, that, that the burden that we're carrying, that we're laying down is that burden of trying to be right and trying to be perfect. And instead, just trust in Jesus for that. Amen.
Father God, we thank you. We thank you for making a way for us to, to run to you, for not only always faithfully holding up your end of your covenant with us, but for holding up our end. We thank you that, that you did what we could not do in a million lifetimes and, and fulfilled that side of the covenant, your, your law. You fulfilled it for us and your son, Jesus to make us righteous and to make us holy and set apart in a way that we, we could not do, God. We could not do on our own. Instead, you took our sin and our shame and our guilt and turned it to your glory, Father. We thank you for that. God, I pray that as Easter comes, that we, we would reflect on, on just what a powerful, amazing thing that you've done for us through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that as, as Clint comes to deliver your word to us this morning, that, that you would have already begun the work of softening our hearts and preparing us to be transformed by your word. We love you and we thank you. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, before you guys are seated, uh, we're going to have a minute on the clock. Get it, turn around, meet somebody around you, or better yet, get out of your seat and go track down somebody you haven't met and five extra D, uh, Jesus dollars if you ask them for uh, something they could pray. You could be praying for them this week. Good morning, Community Life. I hope you're having a wonderful morning this morning. Uh, my name is Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to just have you spending this, this time with us. Uh, as you notice, I'm not here with you today. I am in the woods, uh, specifically Dozier City, Alabama, chasing the spring gobbler. Uh, the team was nice enough to allow me to take some time to get away to go enjoy the opening day of, of turkey hunting season, and so that's where I'm at. But I just did want to take your time this morning to, to invite you to all of our Easter services and Holy Week services. So just to give you a heads up, for Easter morning, or actually Easter weekend, we've got four services. On Saturday night at 6 o'clock, and then on Sunday at 7.30, 9, and 10.45. So um, on Saturday night, we will have childcare for babies through 5 years old, and at the 7.30 service, the very same thing. And then at the other two services, they will be full childcare. But um, we encourage you, if you're nervous about the crowds, to come to either Saturday night or Sunday morning early. That way, maybe we can spread the crowds out a little bit. But, but regardless, all the services will be the same, and they're just going to be absolutely amazing. So we encourage you to come to that. But then also on Holy Week, uh, I love inviting people to Holy Week because if you get into a rhythm of your Christian faith where you just come on Sunday mornings, then you show up on Palm Sunday, and then you show up on Easter, and you think there's a triumphal entry and then a resurrection, and you miss all of the events that happen in the middle. And so on Monday, Thursday, which is Thursday of Holy Week, we will have a communion service where we will set up on stage um, what's called a triclinium. And we will have characters all dressed up in period piece so that they can look like what the disciples might have looked like. And we're going to talk through what that dinner would have looked like. And then we're going to take communion together. And then on Good Friday, uh, we have a service that's based around the seven last sayings of Christ. And that's a really powerful service and it prepares us um, in that moment um, for what's going to take place on Easter. So I encourage you to come in both of those services during Holy Week or at 6 p.m. So I look forward to seeing you during that time and, um, and say a little prayer for me as I'm out uh, talking turkey. Uh, that's your lead pastor. Isn't he awesome? Man, we love that dude. <laughs> Um, I would translate what Scott just said in Turkey Talk, but that was a mating call, so it wouldn't be appropriate. Let me, let me just leave it at that. Oh, y'all are a rowdy bunch. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My name is Clint Jernigan. I'm the associate pastor here at Community Life, and it's such an honor and a blessing to be here with you, uh, that you would allow us to, to be involved in your family's lives, to hold scripture in this way, and to be a representative in our community to what Jesus is doing in this world. So thank you for that. Here at Community Life, 
Um, we, we believe a few things. We believe our mission is very, very simple, that we love our neighbor. Uh, we love, oh, we're going to start out the right way here. If you're watching online, just rewind that real quick, please. That we love God. We're going to start there. We love God. We love our neighbor. And our mission, our focus, uh, our work in this world is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life and that he is the one who brings the transform- transformation that we also desperately need. So thank you for, uh, for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Uh, as I was looking uh, through, through Scott's message in the past, trying to like, learn from the master, right? Like how he presents is so special. Uh, I learned three things that I need to do in the context of this morning. Uh, the first one is I've got to use a map. And this is uh, something, the key that he's been doing for a long time, which is really an excuse for me to use the laser pointer, if I'm being real. Uh, we've got a map we're going to share with you right now as part of our announcements time. This, <clears throat> this may be familiar to you. Um, and this is a map of our, of our uh, church building, our facilities. If you're watching online, hopefully your parking situation is much easier. And this may be the reason that you're watching at home. We love you. We understand. But if you're joining us here in this building on Sunday mornings, we recognize that parking is an issue, the flow of the parking lot. So we just wanted to throw it out there in those weeks leading up to Easter when everything's going to be really crazy. As Scott mentioned, on Easter Sunday, lots of services, lots of people coming in and out. If we can get everybody flowing the right way, It may make things go a little bit smoother. Um, So just to run through this real quick, we all enter in this first entrance. We're going to loop all the way around. If you're a guest, you can park here. If you need handicap, you're here. And then flow. Hopefully you found a spot by now. If not, this is our gravel parking lot. If you drive a Jeep and wear boots, we invite you to park out in the gravel parking lot. You'll feel right at home out there. Um, And then if you want to circle all around the loop road, you can park up in the bushes and the trees if you have a bulldozer. uh, Or just right out here, this is a huge... Uh, grass salt as well. If you have an oversized vehicle, we invite you to park there or in the grass triangle. We call it the grass triangle. I actually don't know why, but I think you can probably figure it out. If you want to park in this area, you can do that as well. Uh, And then we're all exiting this way. If you live east of us, like towards Navarre, towards Fort Walton, and, and you leave, if you will go right and enjoy a beautiful stroll, down lovely Soundside Drive, uh, and then turn out on Nanahala. That would help things flow a little bit better if you just have a few extra minutes to go home that way. If, if you live west of here, like towards Gulf Reese proper in Pensacola, uh, they come out, take a left, and one day eventually, I've heard that they will provide a traffic light for us right here on Soundside Drive. But until that day comes, we're going to lean into this model, and hopefully everybody gets out of here safely and with their faith intact. So that's what our, our prayer is. So, so thank you for, uh, for considering that. And uh, huge props to, uh, to Tommy and that whole parking team out there that's uh, just enduring, enduring a lot. So, so thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're quite great. The second thing um, I've learned about watching Scott is that I've got to say the phrase biblical scholars at some point during the message. So if I'm able to do that, if I'm able to work that phrase in there, just mark it, just give a little tick and remind You don't have to clap at that point, but you're welcome to if you would like to. That, that'd be okay. Um, and then second, uh, and third of all, um, that I probably should at some point talk about Jesus. And if that's okay with you guys, we're going to jump into that in just a few minutes. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at that. I did want to bring attention, I forgot to do this last, uh, last time, but on the chair in front of you, there's a couple of QR codes. Um, and if you're looking for more information on what's happening here at Community Life, you can just wave your phone over uh, using the, the, the camera app. Uh, use that QR code on the left. Just find out ways that are getting connected. There's a lot of current things that are happening. There's too many to talk about all at once on a Sunday morning, but you can check that out there. Or if you're connected here and you want to give, uh, the QR code on the right is how you, can, uh, how you can do that. Just hover over that with your camera app, and you can be connected as there. Uh, we also have giving boxes all throughout the downstairs and a couple upstairs as well. You can find those uh, and, and get connected that way. Before we jump into um, our next session, uh, um, sermon on amazing grace. We're just going to pause and pray. Would that be all right? Let's pray, y'all. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this world. I thank you so much for this story that we're going to jump in today. In this season that we're preparing our hearts uh, for Easter, God, for what your son endured, for the gift that you gave, and God, and for the, uh, the amazing resurrection that gives us life. God, I pray that today you would help us to uh, just to pause to remove those distractions from our lives, the thoughts about plans that are happening afterwards or, or what's going on elsewhere, that you just open our ears and our heart. God, help us to focus our, 
focus our mind on, on what you're trying to, to share with us this morning through this story. God, I pray, just as uh, John the Baptist said in, in chapter 3 of John, just make less of me in this moment and more of you. God, help us in this moment connect people to your son. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. As I mentioned, we've been in this series, uh, Amazing Grace, uh, for a few weeks now. We planned this series September of last year, sitting in a small cabin in Montana, got away. We're like, that would be a wonderful thing to talk about leading up to Easter. Uh, We had no idea. Uh, We kind of stumbled into the fact that this year marks the 250th anniversary of the song Amazing Grace. And so we're just going to claim it as that was our intentionality. We knew that all along, and we're just going to kind of go with that. But it's kind of cool the way that that works out. Week one, we looked at um, grace from the very beginning, that God is a God of grace. And we see in chapter three, when Adam and Eve uh, messed up, when they chose poorly, God was there to cover them, cover them in grace, and continue to provide for them and to love them through that. Uh, Week two, we looked at Abraham and Isaac, this idea of that love gives and that grace is abundant when you're in the economy of God. And and, uh, in in this story, God even is going to tip his hat and kind of show us the idea of what he is going to do in this world through his son, Jesus, uh, just like Abraham and Isaac's story. Week three, uh, we looked at this idea, uh, or this this time where Jesus came to be baptized uh, by his cousin, John, John the Baptist. Um, Kat did a wonderful job and reminded us that grace is for us. It's not just for them way back long ago. It's not just for someone else. That grace is for us as well right here in this place. And then last week, um, Scott dove into the story from uh, John chapter 9 about the man who was born blind. The disciples were asking who sinned this, this man or his parents that he would be afflicted like this. And, uh, and Jesus steps through this moment. He heals them. And then, of course, all the, the difficult conversations and the accusations and the trial, pretty much, that this man uh, endures after that. And then we see Jesus at the end of the story. He seeks him and he finds him and he restores him and brings him back and loves him when his own family deserted him. It's a beautiful picture of, of grace that we painted so far in this series. And the message we have today uh, from John chapter 4 will continue that same idea. So if you have your Bibles and you want to start digging through there, I'm going to give you some context uh, before we jump into the story. Um, The historical background, so think of King David. Way back in the day, David and Goliath, like that guy, became a king. The subsequent kings after him were not so great. They diminished in their amazingness. And uh, eventually, the kingdom was split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Um, The northern kingdom, uh, or Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians in 722. All you history nerds like me out there. Uh, And they became known as Samaria. So the northern kingdom conquered 722 BC. They became known as Samaria. What the Assyrians did when they came in was they took a lot of of people from especially the cities and relocated them throughout their empire and then imported other people and planted them inside of the used-to-be Israelite cities in the northern kingdom. What this caused was then the the, uh, Israelites who lived there started intermarrying and picking up beliefs and started doing different stuff. And so now a lot of their culture and heritage, uh, some of their beliefs have been skewed uh, from this time. But they're still holding on to, many of them still holding on to those first five books of the Bible that Moses had written. Uh, The southern kingdom, also known as Judah, uh, this is where Jerusalem is. They were conquered in 587 BC, and I'm not going to nerd out too much, I promise we're going to get moving, by the Babylonians, and they were mostly left right where they were, with the exception of they would come into the cities, they would pick the best and the brightest, maybe the the folks of royal um, nobility, and they would pull them out, they would educate them, and they would put them into service in Babylon. So think of like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Those guys were pulled out of this and stuck into service. But for the most part, they left Judah alone. And this allowed them to, uh, they did not have to intermarry. And so as a result, they were able to preserve the lineage of their people, which is so uh, important for them. And this would be the line that later that Jesus would come from, as in the the phrase, um, the lion of Judah. So as a result of this, the people in the southern kingdom, because they were able to hold to their lineage uh, a little bit better, um, they 
Um, they looked down on the Samaritans uh, because they had clouded their families and their lineage with outside influences. I think that's pretty safe to say. But in short, many people in Jesus' day didn't like Samaritans just because they were Samaritans. It isn't so wonderful to live in a world where that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Like, just to live where we, it just all, anyway. But this kind of stuff was still what was happening uh, in those days as well. So that's the historical background. The, uh, the chapters prior to this, in John chapter 2, this is where we see Jesus turning water into the wine, and this is where we see him also uh, clearing the tables of the money changers. In John chapter 3, there's this incredible story where a Pharisee, or a leader of the, uh, the Jewish ruling group, um, came to Jesus, but he came to him at night. He, wasn't, he didn't want to be seen, he didn't want to be associated with Jesus, he just wanted to find out more. So he came to Jesus, and Jesus sat down, and he had this conversation with him, and you may remember this, there's a little bit of confusion, he said, if you want to receive this, you have to be born again, and Nicodemus, as a leader of the, the uh, law, is really confused by this, and he actually even says, how is this going to be? Uh, how can I be born again if I'm so old? And Jesus is like, all right, I'm going I'm I'm to spell it out for you. It, it'll be all right. Um, but it's in that, uh, in that same chapter that we get um, the verse um, in this conversation with Nicodemus, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, helping him have that sort of understanding of who Jesus was and how God was active in the world around him. So that's kind of the, uh, the story leading up to this, give you a little bit of context about the culture and about what Jesus' ministry is like at this moment. And we're going to jump in now, John chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version, but you can pick whichever one you're comfortable with. And it says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, he was, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Isn't it interesting? This is a weird leadership thing, isn't it? Like, it seems like if you've got excitement and you've got people showing up, you want to stay there. But instead, he intentionally leaves this place. And we'll find out in this story a little bit later what causes him to move away from this sort of excitement and momentum that he has going on. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So he had to go through Samaria. Most Jews at the time would have traveled way out of their way to avoid Samaria. The biggest problem with Samaria, the Jews believed at the time, were Samaritans, that it was full of Samaritans. So they did whatever they could to try to avoid these sort of interactions and conversations and confrontations with the Samaritans. And so they would have, we actually have a map. Uh, I'm very, very excited. Twice I get to use a map and a laser pointer. Uh, so at this time, Jesus and his disciples are right around here in Judea. This is where they're baptizing here on the river. They're spending some time. Most Jews at this time, if they're going to go to the north, up here to Galilee, which is up here, um, they would have crossed the river, gone all the way up, and then crossed back and then been here. This is what most good Jews would do to completely avoid Samaria. But Jesus, in a radical switch, he, he tends to do this. He says, hey, we had to. I love this. We had to go this way. So instead, he punches straight up through here. This is Sikar, also known as Shechem, near Mount Gerizim. And this is going to be the route that he takes to get up here to Galilee. He's just going straight through. This, I'm sure, it doesn't, doesn't tell us this in the scripture, but I'm sure the, the, the disciples were thinking, what's he doing now? We're going to do what? We're going to go where? Why is he leading us through here? Like, no, like everybody knows you cross over and then go up and then you sneak back in. But this is not the route that Jesus chooses to take because he, as Jim put it, had a divine appointment to get to. Uh, it also says that Jacob's well was there. This is um, both a geographic reference, so we know specifically where this conversation, where this setting was, but it's also a reminder that Samaritans had a shared common lineage, that there, were, there was this family idea that, that, Joseph, I mean, that uh, Jacob was their father. We'll continue on. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I, just to pause just for a minute, a um, couple of things stand out for me here. If you've heard this story taught before, you've probably heard that this lady, uh, that, that this noontime, 
hot, very, very hot. We're about to see this lady show up in just a minute, and we'll talk about her in a minute. But what I love in this verse is that it's hot. Jesus has been traveling, and he is thirsty. Here's what you're like, yeah, okay, we just kind of skim over those verses. But here are the cool little nuggets in small verses like that. That it reminds me that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is human. 100% God, 100% the Son of God, and human. Those little verses that, that give us that opportunity to see his humanity. Jesus was tired and he slept in the boat. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Reminds me that there's a relationship there's an approachability that we can have with Jesus, knowing that he's been some of the, through some of the same struggles and challenges, just on a human basic level that we have all had. I love just picking up those, those little nuances to remind us that he was human. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For Jews, my, my Bible says, for Jews... Nope, that's not what it says there. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, my Bible also says that they don't use the same dishes if a Samaritan has used them. What's fascinating to me is that this was noon. This was the hottest part of the day. She's coming out to draw water. This would have been a chore, a task that's typically done in the early morning hours when it's cooler or in the late afternoon when it's cooler. You don't come in the middle of the day. So this tells me a couple of things. Uh, one, some preachers, some pastors would say that this lady was a lady of ill repute, maybe a, um, a, a prostitute in this time. And so she's coming out. She's trying to be away from the rest of the community because they would have looked down upon her. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, we have reason to believe that that's probably not true. But in, instead, maybe she's like an extreme introvert and doesn't want to be around anybody, right? Like she's coming to the well when no one else is going to be there just because it's a quiet time. She can clear her head and listen to her podcast, right? Like mamas, y'all know you need this time, right? Uh, but instead, I think there's something else happening ex instead. I think because she feels like an outcast, even amongst her own villagers. And we'll find out why once we start to unpack her story in a minute. The woman says that I'm a Jew. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Again, showing the difference between them. We don't have a whole lot in common. We're actually not even supposed to be talking to each other. I'm actually blown away that in this culture, you're a man, I'm a woman. We, I'm not supposed to talk to anybody in public outside of my husband. And you're having this conversation. Like You're engaging me in this conversation. She's like, this is, this is really unusual. She's starting to get the picture of who Jesus is. So, how can you ask me for a drink for Jews and not associate with Samaritans? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I love how Jesus, time and time again throughout Scripture, uses the physical, uses the, the things that we're familiar with, to bring about some sort of incredible spiritual conversation. This, this phrase, living water, has a, has a double meaning here. It refers to uh, water that is moving. So think like rivers and brooks and streams, water that's moving. That's thought to be cleaner for drinking, instead of like stagnant pond water, right? Like you don't want to go out on a golf course and drink the water in the water hazard. You want to like stay away from that and drink living water. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make. But he's using this uh, as a way to say, hey, you can drink this, but he's also, I have something else. He's using this as a way to discuss more spiritual matters. Verse 11, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? I love how her confusion reveals where her heart and her head are at. She's still thinking the physical, the water that she's going to put inside of these jars that she's brought. Even think of Nicodemus in the previous chapter, as I mentioned before. How can I be born again? Think literally of every conversation that the disciples had with Jesus surrounding a parable when he tried to teach them something. So what does this mean to you? And they didn't have a clue a lot of times. But it's something that, that happens when we bring our questions and we bring our confusion to God. We say, I don't have this figured out. 
And he is able to use that to move us to where he's calling us to be. So if you're there and you're thinking, I don't have a clue what Clint's talking about, living water, this guy's what's going on, God can use those questions and can use that confusion to do incredible things to move you along in your spirituality. So you're, you're not alone. We are all certainly in process. She continues on, verse 12. She says, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We're not, we're not talking about water anymore, are we? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw this water. I can't help but wonder if she's, if she's still confused. She's still thinking water. She's still thinking carrying buckets. This is, this is a, a difficult task. And she's saying, I can provide you with living water, right? So you'll never thirst again. And to her, she's hearing infomercial, right? She's like, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, you're going to give me something that I desperately need that I don't have in my life. And if I purchase this for three easy payments in 1999, then I will be okay and life will be great. It used to be black and white and then my life will be in color and I'd be thinking, great, yeah, okay. Like I've heard this before. I've been around the block a few times. Like I know when I'm being, trying to be sold something right now. She still doesn't get it. But it's about to come to her. Give me this water. I want that. You're going to solve all of my hydration needs. 16. Verse 16 says, He told her, go and call your husband and come back. Naturally, you would ask about someone's husband if you're talking about water, right? Like this seems like such a right turn. Out of nowhere, Jesus directs the conversation in a completely different direction. It seems like this is completely obscure. How strange is this? But what he's trying to do is to get to a personal level. He's trying to reveal something about her in her own heart uh, and about her life and potentially her, her own needs for a savior. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. The lady is being truthful in this, right? The man she is with is not her husband, but remember, it's just the two of them at the well. Like, Jesus isn't trying to broadcast her business, right? And try to, like, spill the tea on anybody and try to, like, embarrass this lady or call her out in front of a bunch of people. He's inviting her into something deeper in this conversation. He's getting her attention. He's revealing her history and her heartbreak. He's getting personal. And he's beginning to reveal who he is as well. If you've heard this story before, then you've probably heard uh, that she was a prostitute, as I mentioned before, but I don't think so. Jesus said that she was married five times, but presumably through either death or divorce, she's no longer married. So undoubtedly, she carries a lot of hurt and pain with her when she takes those water jars to the well with her that day. And this is the moment that Jesus meets her. Verse 19 Things are starting to turn. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Oh, talking about sidestepping a conversation, right? Have you ever been in a conversation and things start to get personal and you're like, how about, how about the baseball? How about those baseball teams over there? You know, and they're like, what, what are we talking about? getting real personal. She may be uncomfortable with this, but it also could be revealing that she's starting to think that there's something more to this guy sitting beside the well than just a prophet. This conversation is, is just beautiful and dripping with grace. I can see. And then she brings in this idea of the differences. Okay, so we believe that we have to worship on this mountain, and you guys believe you have to worship on that mountain. Remember when the, when the kingdom was split into two, the people who lived in the north weren't allowed to come into Israel anymore to the, to the holy city to worship. So they built their own on Mount Gerizim. So they're separated. So we believe it's here and you believe it's there. And so now, now what? Where do we go with this? But Jesus responds so beautifully. 
Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I mean, picture him sitting beside this well, gesturing maybe over his shoulder. It's not about that mountain. It's not about over there. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, referring to the promise, referring to the prophecy, referring to himself. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I love how Jesus always blends truth and grace. The lady states her thoughts. Jesus as a teacher, as the Son of God, answers those questions, trying to redirect her and point her in the right direction. He doesn't leave her where she is in her misunderstanding of the way that things are supposed to work. Instead, he directs her towards the truth. And then at the end of it says, but you know what? It's not going to matter. Because what God's looking for are people who worship in spirit and in truth. And in so doing, he brings her in with these huge arms of grace and says, it's for all of us. I know you feel like you live in obscurity and you have a checkered past and all this stuff. We're going to correct you. We're going to get you going the right direction. And I'm going to love you every step of the way and that you are invited to be a part of that sort of worship. Spirit and truth. The woman said, verse 25, I know that Messiah, I can't help but wonder if she starts this sentence with just like intrepidation, right? Like she's aware of the prophecies. She knows that that a Savior is coming. That's been the hope of her people for generations. And I can't help but wonder if this moment, if she's not starting to put the pieces together and says, could this be the guy? Could this be the guy that we've waited for for so long? The one, the the hero, the savior, the rescuer, the redeemer, the one who's been prophesied for so long? And she, I can't help but wonder if she doesn't start to say this in such a way that she's like, I know that, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's thinking, just like you're explaining everything to me now, In the midst of her pain and of her shame and of her obscurity, she is holding on to a hope that the Messiah is still coming. He's coming to bring them back to the heart of God. And I can't help if she, I can't help but wonder if she hopes against hope that this man beside her in this well at noon is him. Then Jesus declared, verse 26, powerful, powerful verse. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Oh my goodness, could you imagine being there receiving those words? The, the Greek translation for this phrase is ta-da. <laughs> oh good, I'm so glad that, that joke worked. This would be really awkward if it hadn't. That's not really the, 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 the Greek for it. But the idea is the same, right? The idea is that like Jesus is like, jazz hands, like I'm here. Like you think, you've been hoping, you've been waiting, you've been praying. I am here, right? Spirit and truth, I am he. But it truthfully is one of those few I am statements that we capture in scripture. One of about 23. And this lady who has no name, sitting beside a well doing her normal chores, is the one who receives one of these I am statements from the Son of God. At that point, the disciples return. It says, just then his disciples return and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Have you ever heard the saying, it is better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt? Luckily, this is one of the few times that I could find where the disciples actually live into that, right? They're just like, I'm not going to ask. You ask. I'm not going to ask. Like, we're here for a reason. He brought us through Samaria. I don't know why he's talking to that lady. Don't say anything. Peter, don't say it. You know it's going to be Peter, too. 
28. Then leaving her water jar, this is when it gets real, y'all. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Can't but wonder if they were thinking at this point, like, yeah, we live in a tiny village with you. Everybody knows your business, lady. I'm not the Messiah. Everybody knows your stuff, though, but we're going to come check this out. Um, meanwhile, we have, to, we have to realize that she left her jar. She left the very thing that she came there to do. She left it behind. Maybe this was just like exuberance and overwhelming joy. She just totally forgot about it in the moment. That's, that's po- possible. But maybe she actually received the living water that Jesus had offered her in the beginning of the conversation. Maybe she was so filled with this that that's what prompted her to run back into town and to start telling everybody her very deep theological testimony of, hey, y'all, come see this, right? I love that in in her testimony, she even poses a question. Could this be the Messiah? Even if she wasn't 100% sure, she still shared her story and encouraged others to find out for themselves. Each of us have to answer the question of who Jesus is for ourselves. If you don't have it all figured out, you can still share your story. You can still encourage people to go to Jesus and discover this answer for themselves. Verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? It's not what he's talking about, though. Verse 34, my food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. Again, I love how Jesus takes the things that disciples are, com- are, are used to, they're aware of, these physical world things, and applies them to spiritual things. And he says this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Again, picture Jesus sitting there, seeing this crowd of people coming from the village. He's stretching his arm out. And he's like, did you see it? The harvest is right here. This is what I'm talking This is what feeds my soul right here, is for these people to come and to know. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage of harvest, a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you out to reap what you have not worked for, and others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I mean, even thinking about years later, when missionaries would start piling into this area, right? When they would leave Jerusalem and go Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, they would show up in this tiny little town and be, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. Like, yeah, we know. He came here. He was here. He actually came here before he came to you guys. But yeah, he was here at this well. And again, Jesus is planting those seeds and telling his disciples, you didn't work for this, but this is what's happening. He's always explaining. He's always showing grace to those around him. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get frustrated at the disciples in this moment. And sometimes for me, I don't know about for you, but sometimes those people closest to us are the ones that are most difficult to show grace to. Ooh, and that's hard for me to say. They wear on our patience. And sometimes we don't have to feel like we wear our outside masks in front of them. But Jesus is still patient with his disciples and shows grace through his time and gentle explanation. Imagine Jesus gesturing and teaching them and loving them in this moment. 39, to kind of wrap up through 42, says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers because of his words. He didn't show up and heal a bunch of people or bring anybody back from the dead or multiplied fish and loaves in this small town. Instead, he just talked to them and taught them and shared stories, and they believed. 42 says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. We have heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The kind of grace that's shown is the kind of grace that seeks and saves. You see, our job is to simply introduce people to Jesus. 
and the honest manner in which we run our business and the things that we say and the way we act and the tone in which we speak to our kids and the forgiveness we extend to those who have wronged us. The lady simply said, come see. And this was enough for a village to do just that. And who knows, in so doing, we might just introduce someone to the Savior of the world in the same way. So from this story, pulled out a few quick things as we get ready to go. One, Jesus was thirsty. Maybe that's all you need to hear today, is just to remember that Jesus endured the same sort of heartaches and struggles that you did. And maybe you just need to remember that the next time you're thirsty, remember that he was also. Remember that confusion leads to clarity, and the questioning, and the struggling, and the wrestling, and the not understanding that when we seek, we will find. When we look for Jesus, he is right there, and he will provide those those answers for it, or at least be present in our, in our questions. If, you're, if you have doubts, if your theology or thoughts on God is different, then know that God will teach you. Just keep asking. And then if, if you need to, take one of Jim Bell's classes, right? And he'll teach you the rest. Uh, also, just this idea of grace and amazing grace. He shows grace to his disciples. He loves them. He teaches them, walks them through it. But he shows grace by leaving the 99 at the river who, was, who were being baptized to find the one lady who desperately needed to hear this story. He talks about in Matthew 18 and Luke 25 this idea of a shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one lost sheep, and he certainly did that. He left with intentionality, with an appointment to meet this lady right where she was, and he extends that same grace to you. And then lastly, share. We read about this lady. She was the first, uh, she was the first lady to go out and to tell folks and to bring people to Jesus and her ministry was incredible, but it was wildly simple. Hey, come meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I love this idea. It's only seven words long, but she shared her story. It wasn't from a seminary. It wasn't theologically deep. And yours doesn't have to be either to share your story about how God impacted your life, even though you may still have questions. Let her life and the grace that God extended to her be a testament to us and the work that we have to do. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this story. We thank you for, uh, God, just this moment. And I pray over the next few minutes as Tammy plays this song that we would listen to the words. God, that we, you would meet us right where we are. If it's in doubt, if it's in shame, if it's in feelings of, of obscurity, God, that you would remind us that your grace is for us and that it's abundant and that you love us more than we ever could imagine. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Would you stand with me now, please? Addie's going to be over here on this side. If you need her to pray for you, she'll be right here. I'll be on this side. Consider the words of this song and sing along, if you will. I have what you need, but you keep on searching. I've done all the work, but you keep on working. When you're running on empty and you can't find the remedy, come to the well. You could spend your whole life chasing what's missing, but that empty inside just ain't gonna listen when nothing can satisfy. And the world leaves you high and dry. Come to the well. Sing it with me. And all oh, thirst will thirst no more. All who search, all who search will find what their souls long for. The world will try, but it will never fail. Till you feel the change, my child, when you come to the well. And all who thirst.
the will leave it all behind oh leave it all behind leave it all behind leave it all behind come to the will thank you for being here but more than that thank you for being the church that displays this sort of grace, this sort of love, this sort of God who extends and seeks and finds each one of us right where we are. There's something special about this place, and we thank you for being a part of that. If you're new here, we invite you to meet us in the lobby, or if you're looking for another way to get connected and plugged in, we'd love to have a conversation with you in the Next Steps room. Let's pray. God, we love you. You are amazing and awesome. Thank you for allowing a guy like me to be able to share your word. I pray that you would help us despite our, our, uh, just our nerves, our, our anxieties, despite what we think about ourselves even in a lot of cases, to use our stories that you've given us to invite other people to, to come see for themselves. Help us to do that as we leave this place. Go before us and thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful week. Come from where